All right, let me, let me just try and um, just keep going from last week. I said last week we, <laughs> I got through half a page of my notes and then we had, and, and then something happened. Kay distracted me and things went all over the place. But I put this slide up and I have used this once before, I think a number of years ago. But it's, it's, many people have this idea of God that he's mean, that he's harsh, that he's violent, that he's this ogre sitting in heaven and he just wants to punish people. As soon as they step out of line, I'm just going to smack you down. And that, that really saddens me when people have that view of God. And yet so many people do, not just, not just unbelievers, but some Christians also think that that's what God is like. And so they're living their life continually trying to appease who they think is an angry God, and that is an absolute distortion of who God is. And um, I shared with you that one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the things that actually impacted me when I was, when I was growing up was a movie which prior to that, you know, we as, as young Christians were told, don't go to the movies. You know, that was a no-no because it was part of the world and, it was, and it's going to, you know, it's going to corrupt you. But I saw a movie, I snuck out, I saw a movie called Gospel Road. It was way back in the 70s and, um, and it, uh, it was a depiction of Jesus in a way that I'd never seen before. Because he was, he was happy all the time. And he was dancing and, and, and just having fun with, with his friends and, and gathering. You know, kids would come and he would play with them on his knee and then he would play games with them. And it was just a total different view of Jesus that changed my mindset. Because I realized if that's what Jesus is like and he is the exact representation of the Father then some of these ideas that I've had about God, they're wrong. And I've been fed really a lie or, a, or certainly a distortion of truth. And so my whole mind started to change about the way God is. He's a, he's a happy God. And he wants us to live with the reality of heaven's joy. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know that you have right standing with God, you won't live in a place of peace. And we need peace in a world that's full of turmoil. Not just natural peace, you need inner peace. And that peace overflows with this, with this expression of joy. And as I said, that doesn't mean we walk around with a silly, super spiritual smile on our face all the time. But that we live with a with a deep sense of security that enables us to go through life with a sense of joy. It's a joy that this world doesn't really understand or know. In the, in the Gospel of John, um, almost in every chapter, you can see an expression of the joy of God. But in, in four in particular, from chapter 14 through, uh, in chapter 14... Uh, Jesus' disciples are all getting worried because Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to depart. And so he says, he says to them right at the start, he says, don't be worried. Don't panic. Don't be worried about the future. He says, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, we all know that verse. Right? Um, and then later on he says, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. 
I'm not just going to vanish and you're going to be all alone. I am going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he is going to be with you and he's going to live in you. That's John 14. In John 15, we read this. this. We looked at this last week. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. John 15, he's talking about abiding in him. You see, you can be a Christian, you can be a believer, you can even believe what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in you, but you can live without that experience. You can live with with no real understanding and no practical reality, no tangible experience of that. The Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can live with the the reality of heaven. And so Jesus says, I'm... The Holy Spirit's going to come to you and I want you to live in me and I'm going to live in you so that your joy will be complete. It's actually meant to have a, 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 a practical outworking in our life that changes the way that we live. And then in John 16, uh, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to take from what is mine and he's going to make it experientially known to you. It's in John 16. So we read, uh, now is your time of grief. This is talking about the fact I am going to die and there is going to be a few days where you are going to be upset at what's going on because you're going you're to be challenged on everything I've said about not leaving you. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Then in John chapter 17, Jesus' famous prayer, and and he's praying, and really he's not praying with the kind of hope that you and I sometimes pray with. You know, we, we sometimes we pray like we buy a lottery ticket. You know, you buy a lottery ticket and you hope that you might win. Jesus doesn't pray with that kind of hope. He prays with an understanding that his prayers are fulfilled. And so Jesus is prophesying when he's praying. He's actually making a declaration of what's going to happen. And so in John 17, he says this, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That was Jesus' prayer for you and I. It was a declaration. It was a proclamation to you and I that we can live with the joy of of Jesus in us. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, Hebrews 12 says. What was the joy set before Jesus? It was us. It was you and I. We're his joy. And I said last week, I think this is where Kay made me get sidetracked a bit. To live every day of your life with an understanding that you bring joy to God will change the way you live. I said there are two things that if you can get revelation of, will radically change your life. One is the reality that as a believer, Christ lives in you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The reality of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. 
If, we can, if, we, if you get revelation that that is truth and you begin to live with that every day, man, that will change your life. The second thing is living with this understanding that you bring joy to God every day. Simply because of who you are, not because of what you try and do. Religion's all about trying to perform. It's all about trying to do things to impress God or do things to, to get right or to stay right with God. But being a child of God is a whole different thing. And we are right with God because of what Jesus has done. And so we, are, we, we bring delight to him simply because of who we are. You wake up in the morning, if you don't do a single thing in your mind for God, you've still brought him joy and delight. Folk, if we can, that is so freeing. That is so liberating when, when you live with that reality. So Jesus' prayer is that we would live with complete joy, with a fullness of joy. Now, what does that mean? That means that we can actually live with less than complete joy. We can live with less than a fullness of joy. And, and you might feel, man, I'm only half full, or I'm only a quarter full, or I'm only an eighth full, I'm only like 0.0001% full of his joy. I've hardly got anything at all. Well, the good news is this, is that you can know the joy of heaven, is that you can know his joy. You know that David, you read in the Psalms a number of times, um, where, there were, where, where, where sometimes he just felt empty. You know? And in fact, there were times where he actually vocally said, I, he said, I've lost my joy. So he, say, so he says to God, he prays to God, Lord, return to me the joy of your salvation. That's what he says. He prays that prayer. Why? Because he had lost his joy. Now, why did he lose his joy? Well, if you read the context and you read the story, it was this. He had sinned. All right? How many of you know that we don't always do everything perfectly? Sometimes we do do things wrong. But this is what happened. He thought, if you read the, read the whole story, he thought that God then immediately turned his face from him. But that's not what happened. In fact, God says, I never turned my face from you. But that was in David's thinking. And that's what's in the thinking of most believers. That if we do anything wrong, God immediately turns his face from us and is angry with us. But that's not the promise of Scripture. In actual fact, he says, I will never turn my face from you. But David believed a lie. The devil comes in, starts pouring into him. He starts feeling guilty and condemned. And so he lost, the, the, the first thing that happened, he lost his joy because he thought God was angry with him and turned his face from him. But see, the good news is with David is that David never stays in that position for very long because he knew how to get his joy back. And so he talks about the fact that he's, he worships God. He goes back to the place of worship because he, he knew that was where I can get my joy back, not through the singing of a song, but by coming with faith back into the presence of God and knowing that he is a good God who receives me. He's not angry with me. And his face hasn't turned from me. And so he goes back to that place of worshipping God 
and he just comes back into a place of joy. See, David knew where God lived. How many of you have forgotten your address? No, you all know where you live. And so when you go out somewhere, you know how to get back home. You know what your address is. Folk, we have to, with the pressures that we come under through this life, you have to know where to live. Amen? You have to know what your address is. What is your address? I'm not talking about your natural earthly address. What is your address? Well, Ephesians 2 says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's my address. Amen? I am in Christ. That's my address. And it's when, when all of that junk from this world comes on you and wants to rob you of joy and wants to rob you of peace, you have to go back to your address. You have to go back to the place where you are meant to live, in Christ. And so I come back to the promises of God. I come back to what he declares over my life. I come back to what he declares over me. And what happens? Peace comes back. And what follows peace? is a natural progression. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And so when I can come back to a place of feeling at rest, joy comes. I don't start laughing and giggling, but there is this inner sense of, oh, thank you, God. The world is at war, but I'm at peace in your presence. Amen? I want to tell you, folks, there's no shortage of joy in heaven. In fact, joy is spoken of um, over 800 times in the Bible. There's rejoicing in heaven all the time. You know, every time, every time someone comes to the Lord, every time someone gets saved, there's a party in heaven. Every, every time someone graduates from this world to that realm, there's a party in heaven. And so what does that mean? Every second of the day. There's joy in heaven. There's celebrating in heaven. Well, what did Jesus tell us to pray? His will, as it is in heaven, here on earth, the reality of heaven's atmosphere, present here on earth. That's our motto, releasing heaven into earth. We want to we have that atmosphere in our lives, surrounding us, wherever we go, the atmosphere of heaven. That means there should be an atmosphere of joy around us. Let me tell you, folk, there's a lot of stuff that goes on every day that can rob you of joy. Today, you can be robbed. Right now, you can be robbed. There's a whole lot of stuff that can go on around us that can rob us of living in that place of peace and living in that place of joy. Whenever we lose focus, you can lose your peace and you can lose your joy. The Gospels have got a whole lot of stories where, where one minute people were happy, the next minute man, they, they just they're angry. And many of those times, it's because they allowed themselves to get offended by certain things. 
Now, the Pharisees were continually getting offended because, they, because, because the people that they were trying to police weren't obeying the law in the way that they wanted them to. And they were continually getting offended. They continually got offended with Jesus. They were always angry at him. Were they living in a place of peace and joy? Absolutely not, because they allowed themselves to continually get offended. If we allow ourselves to get offended at things, folk, let me tell you, you're going to lose your joy. Amen? We believe in grace. Amen? The grace of God. You're saved by grace. It's the unmerited favour of God being poured out upon you every day. The word grace is the word chara. Or... um, not chara, it's charis, isn't it? The word for joy is the word chara. It comes from grace. So if you, if you, if you want real joy, you have to be living in a place of God's grace. That's why it's such an important thing. That's why it's so foundational for our lives, to be living out of the grace of God so that we can live with his joy. Amen. Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to do you harm. Plans to give you a hard time. Plans to uh, make you unhappy and angry. (laughs) That's not what it says, is it? What does it say? Plans to prosper you. Plans for your good. Plans for your future. Amen? Amen. That's the promise of God's word. God's not a mean old grumpy God sitting in heaven. He's happy. He laughs. He sings over you and I. He rejoices. He even dances over you. (laughs) Oh, no, God's this mean, harsh judge sitting on this throne. No, he's happy. We looked at the other day at at, um, just some of the dynamics of joy. just some of the expressions of joy, you know, a happy face, smiling, dancing, all of those kinds of things. Because joy looks like something. It looks and sounds like Jesus. It looks and sounds like heaven. Go to Acts chapter 8. Let's have a quick look at a better look at something. Acts 8. Every time you... you uh, Every time you see joy in the Bible, it's always associated with or connected with an action or a sound. Always. In, um, in Acts chapter 2, you see on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, as the, Jesus had promised he would, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they spill out onto the street praising and celebrating Jesus in in a whole lot of different languages, but people hear this sound, they hear this noise, and they come to hear, come to see what is going on, and they see people full of joy. In fact, they they were so full of joy, people thought they were drunk. Look at this in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there, which is just that fact by itself was a phenomenal thing because if you were a Jew living in the area of Judea especially, you would never go to Samaria unless you absolutely had to because they didn't like Samaritans. So you'd stay away from them. But he actually goes there and proclaims Jesus there 
And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great sadness. No, there was great joy in that city. Why do we, why do we go after the miraculous? Why do we go after signs and wonders? Well, one, because we want to see people set free from whatever you know, physical disease they've got. We want to see them emotionally set free. But we want to see heaven's joy released into our situation. And it's not about trying to get a notch on your belt to say, hey, there's another miracle. No, it's to see heaven invade someone's life so that their lives radically change. Amen? People could hear something. They saw something that caused them to be filled with joy. In Acts 13, um, Paul and Barnabas, they've been traveling. They've been preaching Jesus. They've been seeing people set free and healed and saved, uh, planting churches. And they get to a place called uh, Pisidian Antioch. And, and, and they're having an impact in that city. And some people are getting very excited about what's happening. And they heard Paul preaching and they think, man, we've got to hear more of this guy. And so they invite Paul to stay there for, a, for another few weeks and to keep preaching. And so they gather together the next Sunday or the next Sabbath on the Saturday to get together to, to listen to Paul again. And so you've got a group of people who are excited. They, they're actually eager to hear what Paul's going to say. They want to, they, they want to get together and worship God. But then you've got a whole bunch of other people who are actually now starting to get angry because Paul's challenging all of their religious ideas. And so they get together, all of those who, who, who want to hear Paul, but now they, they, get, they get invaded by these protesters. Right? And so they come and they start screaming at Paul, and they're angry. And so they incite this violent uprising against Paul. And they actually end up driving Paul and some of his disciples out of town. It's, it's a real mess. I mean, you know, we don't have to put up with that kind of stuff too often. It's not. We've had a few occasions years back where we had a bunch of people who remain nameless, who attacked us quite vehemently. But you know, it doesn't happen on a regular basis, but that's what was happening to Paul. And it says here in Acts 13, it says, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. You get run out of town, but you're filled with joy. I don't think the joy was, hey, we're getting out of here. No, they were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have been persecuted? Not by your wife or husband. Sometimes people don't like what you say, they, sometimes people get to a point where they just don't like you. These guys were standing up, they were seeing miracles take place, they were seeing people set free, and yet there was a bunch of guys who hated what they were doing, 
and they drove them out, the, out of town. But what happens? The Holy Spirit comes with encouragement to them and fills them with joy. Folk, that's, that's the natural outflow of having the Holy Spirit with you. It's joy. He's always with us. He is, Jesus talks about him as a well of life. You know, one of, the, one of the descriptive words for the Holy Spirit is water. You'll see it through Scripture. A well of life. Jesus said that you'll have a well of life in you that will spring up to life. You can keep drawing from that well every single day. And if you draw that life-giving water, folk, you will know the peace of God and you'll know the joy of God. But how many of you know that your well can sometimes get clogged up? Sometimes it can get clogged up. This past week, the guys who live opposite us, ladies, had a four-wheel drive up on um, stands getting fixed up. And I overheard the mechanic who was working on the car all week just talking to her about it. And what had happened is the... Uh, I won't get into all the mechanical stuff of it, but basically the, the filter in the transfer case for the gearbox and stuff had all got clogged up and it had caused the thing to seize. And so he was having to go through this whole process of cleaning the filter out and all the stuff to try and get everything to work again. Well, that can happen to you and I. Sometimes our, our, our system can get so graunched up and so clogged up with the, with the junk from this world. You know, Jesus tells a whole parable about that. Good seed gets sowed. There's good stuff that can release life into your life, that can encourage you, that can, that can equip you, that can, that can release the joy of heaven to you. And yet sometimes it gets, it gets strangled by the weeds, by the junk from this world, and it can rob you of joy. And so we've all got a well. If you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you have a well that you can draw from but sometimes we don't know exactly how to do it, and sometimes it gets so clogged up that nothing can come. We, we're actually not able to get down and draw from that well. I want to just give you a few things that uh, will help you to keep your well clear. All right? And then we're done. Just four things this morning. So number one, keep a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. Keep a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. And I said before that, with joy, every, whenever you see joy in Scripture, it is always something that is demonstrated. It's always something that is vocalized or active. Or it has a sound. It has a look. Praise is something that is always vocalized. Or acted out. You cannot praise God silently. You can, you can worship God silently. I don't like making too much of a distinction between worship and praise because for me the whole thing is a collective. But you, you, you can have moments where you can worship God silently, but you can never praise God silently. You can never actually give God thanks silently. It is something that must always be vocalized or acted out. We act out. We act out a life of thanksgiving by what we do 
for God, not to earn anything from Him, just as an expression of gratitude. Amen? And so, and so staying in that place where we, are, where we have a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, God, I thank you every single day of my life. The first words that should come out of your mouth in the morning is not, oh, morning. It should be, thank you, God, you've given me another day. Thank you, God, that I'm alive today. Now, look, I have days where I wake up and I think, ugh. I'm no, I'm no different than you. I have, day, I have days like that. But I have to change my thinking very, very quickly so that, so that before I get out of bed, I have to be in my heart saying, God, I thank you. God, I thank you I'm alive. God, I thank you for the opportunities. I thank you, Father, that, I'm, that you've saved me. I thank you that I'm a son of God. I thank you that I'm forgiven. I thank you that I'm cleansed. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is with me today. I thank you, Jesus. And I thank you for the opportunities I have. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my family. I thank you for, for everything that you've poured into my life. I thank you for the people that you've connected me with. I've, folk, we've got to stay Grateful. Amen? Because this world is a world of complaint. And every single day, you and I make a choice whether we live with gratitude or whether we live with complaint. Because you cannot be a praiser and be a complainer at the same time. The devil cannot read your mind. People think he can He cannot read your mind, but he can hear your voice and he can watch your actions. And he will capitalize on that every time. The moment complaint comes out of our mouth, what happens? He grabs that, turns that back on us and starts piling in with all of his life. You see, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you really were saved, you wouldn't do that. If you really were a son or a daughter of God, you wouldn't do that. You know, if God really loved you, he would protect you and you would never, ever do that. They're the kind of lies that come against us. And if you don't know your address, <laughs> you start to believe those lies. Keep a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. It'll stop your well from getting clogged up. Number two, keep full of the Holy Spirit. And every time we give ourselves to, to just desiring the Holy Spirit, he just, he just comes and fills us. He doesn't ever leave us, but we're not always aware that his presence is with us. We're not always aware of his tangible presence. But the more, the more you set aside time, the more you just quieten yourself and you, 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 you go to him and just say, Lord, I worship you, I thank you, and I... I this world is draining and I need to be topped up with the presence of heaven. I need you. He will always come. He will always come and he will always release his presence. We will become more and more aware of his presence. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, help me, Kay, verse 18, I think it is, um, where, where he says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you may have been filled 20 years ago. Once is not enough. 
You know, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment you get saved. He comes and dwells within you. Ephesians 1, verse 13 or 14, it says that you have been sealed forever with him. So he's there. He's with you all the time. But we, always, but we don't always sense his presence. And so that's why Paul says, just keep being filled. Keep being filled. It's not as though he's left, but your awareness of him, it, it fluctuates. And we need to keep being filled. Keep being filled. We need to increase our spiritual capacity to actually contain more of him. Number three, mentioned this before, but don't let offense rob you. Don't let offense rob you. We can be offended by people. We can be hurt by them. And we've all been hurt by people. And, I, and I'm a great believer that 99% of the time, people are not out there trying to hurt you. They haven't targeted you to hurt you. But we all, we all make mistakes. We all have blind spots. Sometimes we do things, say things, forget to do things, you know, that, that, that it would be better if we did. That can be offensive, or, or people can take offense and get hurt by it. We have to learn how to live free. Forgive people. Live, live in that place for, of forgiveness. Paul says that we are to forgive others in exactly the same way that Christ has forgiven us. How did, how did God forgive you? Totally, 100%, unconditionally. That's how he forgave you and I. Of all our sin, and he removes it from us, and he remembers it no more, that's the way God has forgiven. So how are we to forgive? Exactly the same way. That's a hard, that's a hard thing for us to do as human beings. Let's be honest. It is. Spiritual maturity is actually growing in those things. It's not trying to remember a thousand verses. It's not trying to recite things. Spiritual maturity is actually living where the rubber meets the road. And one of those big ones, the one of the real big ones is living in a place where we're willing to forgive people continually, 24-7. Because if we don't, what happens? Bitterness starts to build up in us. And you'll find it very difficult to hear God. You'll find it diff very difficult to actually draw from the Holy Spirit and get refreshed. Those things clog up our well. Number four, live from your position and not your pain. What's your position? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You and I are sons of the living God, daughters of the living God, heirs of Christ. That's our position, folk. We need to live from our position and not from our pain. Whatever it is that you are currently going through, that is not your address. That's not your address. That's, that might be a temporary location. I love it. Where is it? Is it Psalm? Uh, forget where it is. It's Psalm 84, somewhere around there. Um, 
We walk through the valley of Baca, which is a valley of tears. We make it a valley of joy. See, there's a place, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, I know he's with me. And sometimes we have moments in our life, we have periods in our life. Um, Sometimes it can be a day, sometimes it can be months, sometimes it can feel like years where you're walking through a really difficult time where it's this real challenge. And if you allow it, it will rob you of your joy if you think that is now your address. But it's not. That's a temporary place. It's a place I'm walking through. My address is I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. And I need to live from that place, not from this temporary position that I have here that can sometimes be painful. Amen? Timothy Keller says this, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, or that's their desire, that's their aim, expecting the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. And it's true, folk. We live in a, in a world that is messed up. It really is. And, and it'll rob you of peace. It'll rob you of joy. But that's not the place that we live from. We, we can be in that situation, surrounded by it, but if we're actually living from our heavenly address, that stuff doesn't need to affect us too much. Amen? We, we looked a few weeks ago, Isaiah 61, we don't have time to read it, but it says, For the Spirit of the Lord is on me, right? He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then it goes on and it begins to speak about the fact that we've been anointed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim freedom for captives, um, release from darkness for prisoners, and then it talks about this, that the oil of joy for gladness. The oil of joy for, for gladness. I want to live where the oil of heaven is pouring over me all the time, releasing heaven's joy upon me so that it can actually bring healing to other people. Amen? That's what we're called to, folk. That's what we're called to. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Despair is a spirit. It's not a feeling. It is a spirit. It has a demonic presence that comes with it, that tries to drag you down, recognize it, and, and the way that you come against that is you've got to come in the opposite spirit. So what's the opposite spirit to a spirit of despair? It's a spirit of joy. It's a spirit of praise. A garment of praise, the oil of joy for gladness. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Paul in a prison getting beaten is chained and yet he rejoices. <laughs> in a Philippian prison, Acts 16, he and, he and Silas, what do they do? No, we're just going to praise God no matter what. 
We're going to give him thanks because we're living in a place of rest and peace and it's overflowing his joy. And so we're going to glorify him and praise him. And you know the story. Earthquake comes, bang, chains get broken off. Jailer and his whole family get saved. A church gets planted as a result of two guys who refused to be offended by the situation, refused to be offended by the people who were against them, attacking them, imprisoning them, and they just kept a heart of praise. They wouldn't allow things to get in and clog up their reservoir, their well. And they begin to resource themselves out of that, begin to praise God, and the whole situation changes. Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, who has stolen your joy? Why did they lose their joy? Because they stepped away from grace and they went back unto legalistic law, religious rules, trying to keep these rules, trying to do all of these things instead of staying in God's grace. And Paul says, you've lost your joy because you've gone back to that stuff. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, people of Zion. Shout in triumph. Your king is coming, righteous and victorious. Even though, Peter writes this, he says, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the salvation of your soul. Folk, we're saved. We're born again. We have eternal life. That's a reason to be joyful. How many of you know that God really is happy? Huh? He is happy. I said, I said before, that, that, that first film, let me finish with this. And you know, you know this, we've read this scripture a number of times. Um, but that picture of God, the thing that really impacted my life was, was seeing that movie and seeing, seeing Jesus dancing and skipping. And I never thought that God ever did that. I never thought God was was even allowed to move from his throne. You know? It's like he was stuck there. He was glued there. It was like, you know, the judge behind his bench. And then I read this, Zephaniah chapter 3. And I'm going to read it again for you again. Uh, I'll just skip down. Verse 17. It says this, The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. That's not God telling you to be quiet. That's, that's the peace of God coming into our life. He will rejoice over you with singing. God sings songs over you. What's he singing? Songs of healing, songs of delight, songs of joy, songs of satisfaction, songs of, of healing, songs of destiny over you. That's what he's doing all the time. But what I love here is that word rejoice. He will rejoice over you with singing. That word rejoice, when you go back and you actually study it and look what it is, it's God dancing. You know, we talk about rejoicing in our conservative little church and say, oh, we rejoice. Hello, thank you, Jesus. No, 
God's rejoice, God's demonstration of being happy and joyful, rejoice means to be joyful again, right? It's actually meaning God gets down from his throne and he spins and he twirls with joy as he dances through the corridors of heaven while he sings songs of destiny over you and I. And when I saw that and when I began to get revelation of what that is, I married that with this this movie that I saw, this picture of this happy Jesus, and I thought, that's what God is like. I'm never going to be afraid of God again. How do, you, how do you keep resourcing yourself and stay in a place of joy? You know, your mind is an incredible tool. God will often speak to people through pictures. And if you can hold those pictures, those images in your mind and use your imagination a bit, for God has given that to us as a tool, and you marry that with the truth of Scripture... Whenever you feel down, whenever the devil comes against you, whenever something happens where you can be offended, I always turn back to that picture. What's God like? If there's, any, if there's ever been anyone in history who has a right to be offended, it's Jesus. You bring God joy. You bring Jesus joy. But you know what? Jesus chooses that. Don't ever forget that. Because every one of us do stuff every day that could be offensive to God and actually is offensive to God. But he chooses. (laughs) This is incredible. He chooses to say, hmm, I push that to one side. I'm not going to be offended by that. I'm going to just keep taking delight in you. God chooses to do that. Jesus chose not to be offended by what was happening against him. And you and I have that same choice. And so whenever there's opportunity for me to be offended, I just go back, God, what what do you do? Because I know I do stuff that offends you every day. But what do you do? No, you you choose. You choose to see me differently. I have to choose to see people differently. I choose to see those situations differently. And I take that and I draw from that to get refreshed and to stay in a place of peace so that I can live with joy. Amen? I hope that's helpful to you because... There is some practical, there's some practical things we actually have to apply to our life. It's not all super spiritual theory. There's some stuff we actually have to do. And we make choices every single day. I want to live in that place of joy. Amen? Father, I pray that you would help us just to keep our wells clear. Lord, that, that the filter, the filtration system of the Holy Spirit would, would just be continually actively working within us as we are making choices every single day. Lord, to live in the truth of your word, Father, to live without offense, to live actively pursuing you and desiring you and desiring your presence, living from that place of grace 
And Lord, just drawing from you, being hungry for more of you, being in a place of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving towards you and towards others, that we can live refreshed every single day. And so, Father, even this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that where people have been weighed down with, with concerns and with things that have caused them to be angry and, and, and maybe even get bitter, Lord, that this morning all of those things would just be released and let go. That, Holy Spirit, you would just come with a wave of your peace and just flow right into people's lives this morning. Father, where there's things that have caused blockages, that you would unblock them, that you would release them. We just declare freedom this morning in the name of Jesus, into everybody's spirit, into everybody's emotions, in the name of Jesus, that where the devil has got in and got a foothold in and, and has brought lies that have, that, have, that, have, that have stopped the flow of your spirit into our lives and through us, that this morning all of those things would be just lifted and broken of people's lives in the name of Jesus, that we can live in the freedom and the liberty of knowing you, being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold more of your beauty, more of who you are. And so we worship you this morning, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.